Well, greetings again, everyone. My name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, this week, we are continuing our Fruit of the Spirit sermon series. We're in the last couple of weeks. We're going to flip the order a bit this week. I'll be teaching on self-control. Next week, you'll receive a teaching on gentleness. And then in two weeks, we will close out this series with a wrap-up. Uh, taught by Jordan, our director of children's ministry, will be teaching a wrap-up sermon on kind of how do we live now from what we've learned in the Fruit of the Spirit series. So today, teaching on Uh, The fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Our text comes from Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then from Matthew 16, from the life of Jesus, this is Matthew 16, verses 21 through 27. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then Jesus said to all of his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done." So this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Will you pray with me now? Jesus, thank you so much for this series. I know this Fruit of the Spirit series has been so encouraging and challenging for so many of us, including myself. I pray, God, that you would teach us today about self-control. Help us learn more of what this fruit looks like in us, the the power that you want to, to use in our lives. And ultimately, God, we pray that you would use this message to bless and encourage and challenge and edify your church for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. So uh, in 1970, uh, again, welcome, Pastor Scott, teaching self-control, sermon title, self-control, theme, self-control. You get the point. We're in self-control this week. Uh, I'll tell an illustration to get started. 1970, Stanford psychology professor Dr. Walter Mischel led a famous landmark delayed gratification study with children. You've heard this, you've seen it. You can have one marshmallow or pretzel stick, depending on your preference. You can have one marshmallow now or two marshmallows later. Children were placed in an empty room and they were uh, given 15 minutes, 15 minutes. And as the scientists would walk out of the room, they would say this, they would famously say, you can have this treat now, or if you wait, you can have two treats when I get back into the room. The children would sit there. And if you haven't Googled this, you can, you know, this has been done and redone and redone. And some of the videos are just hilarious because what the kids learned was by taking the focus off the one and thinking about the two, they had a greater chance to achieve success. Now, this landmark study, which has been done and redone and and disseminated, I'm going to come back to that a little bit later. But what it taught in that first study at Stanford was that the ones that could wait would have markers of success later. Like they studied these kids and then studied them in their teens and in their 20s and their 30s, that those that could wait, that were able to have some self-control, that they didn't pick the one marshmallow or the one pretzel stick. They waited the 15 minutes, they had self-control, and then they got the two. They followed these kids through their life and they said, 
oh, these kids have markers of health. They're more successful. They have more successful relationships. Uh, so there was this like teaching from this marshmallow test that if you could teach people self-control, they will be more successful in life. Now, as Christians, we have uh, entered into this week of self-control from an interesting angle because all series long, we've been talking about the fruit of the spirit of like, this is who God is. So we don't pursue the fruit, we pursue God and then God will bring these things to bear in our life. But if you want more love, well, God is love. If you want more peace, well, God is peace. The challenge with self-control, this is not like the other fruit of the spirit when Paul teaches it in Galatians 5. Because the reality is that God doesn't need self-control. Self-control acknowledges that there's something that we're trying to remove from ourselves. There's a temptation inherent with us that if we can move past the one marshmallow moment, then two good things will be out in front of us. For the character of God, God is fully good, nothing evil, nothing lacking, nothing tempting. So for some, we come to self-control like, I don't know how to do this. I can't just lean more maybe on God because God doesn't practice self-control. And this feels a lot like a CrossFit experience than just deepening my Christian faith. So today we're gonna reframe self-control a little bit. Self-control, it's a gift that comes alive in us in submission to Christ. Jesus would tell the disciples on his way to Jerusalem those that want to lay down their life will find it. And Jesus is like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go lay my life down for what my father's asking me. I'm fully submitted. And Peter's like, never. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus has just established Peter to have authority. Earlier in Matthew 16, Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter. You're the rock. I'm going to build the church upon you. And so Peter, moving in this new authority, is like, all right, I guess this is what I'll do. When Jesus has a bad idea, I'll tell him, yeah, no, no, Jesus, this isn't how it's going to go. And Jesus, get behind me. Say, you don't have the mind of God. You have human mind. Now, Jesus then teaches, whoever wants to be my disciple, deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. You want to save your life? You got to lose it. But who loses their life in me will find it. And so the big teaching today, though we long for control like Peter, Christ has in mind for us the concerns of God. And so if we're gonna wanna be a Jesus follower, wanting to grow in our faith, we're gonna have to practice self-control, but not just like being more disciplined Christians, being better behavior managed. Like we won't grab the one marshmallow. No, we're reframing that and saying that what self-control looks like for the Jesus follower is losing their life for the sake of Jesus. Well, how do we lose our life? That sounds very ethereal, very distant. That feels very Sunday morning and not Monday afternoon in the marketplace. How do we lose our life? We practice self-control. Because true self-control for a Jesus follower isn't the absence of sin, it's the presence of God. We don't aspire to be perfect. No, we just aspire to be fruitful. Uh, Chris Wright has wrote this incredible book that we've been studying all series long on the fruits of the spirit. I highly recommend it. He says this about self-control. I think it's really helpful for this reframe we're hoping for, that Paul, in Galatians 5, Paul has come full circle. He began with love. The fruit of the spirit is love, which directs our thoughts and actions outward towards others. And then he ends with self-control, which is a quality that directs our thoughts and actions inward towards ourselves 
for our own good and that of others. And so self-control is when we look inward and say, God, will you bring this fruit up out of my ground? God, will your spirit change me? God, will you remind me of the great inbreaking power of your spirit? Like that's what self-control is. It's this Greek word, in krataia, which is like temperance or, uh, you know, removal of a temptation maybe, or even abstinence. But what this work, uh, this word in Greek means in krakateria, basically, means to have power. It means to be reminded of power. And so we're going to reframe self-control today to be a teaching about God's power because self-control is not based on our own strength, but awareness of God's strength in us. And there's got to be a movement in us as Christ followers to self-control, but it's a movement away from our own desires for power and authority or comfort uh, into a position of uh, submission to what God wants to do in us and through us. A life of self-control is a fully surrendered life. And ultimately, that's where real power and authority and goodness are derived. So let's dive in here. Uh, We're going to talk first about this, that um, controlling ourselves is one of the central battles of the Christian life, controlling ourselves. But it's not what we think it is. Not what we think it is. So um, when when we turn to God in prayer and say, God, I want you to release this gift of self-control. What we're asking God is to be more powerful than the desires working within us. There are always desires working within us that are opposed or different than the spirit of God that's been given to us. None of us on this side of heaven will be fully submitted to God's power. So oftentimes it can feel like there may be a war going on between the thing that we want to do and the thing that we should do, or the thing that we long for God to do in us, and then these desires that make us human that come up out of the very soil and fabric of our lives. Consider what Paul says, Romans 7. I know the good itself does not dwell in me. That's my sinful sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. That's greatly encouraged. I mean, that's, well, that's so truthful. But if the apostle Paul in Romans says, the good I want to do, I can't do. Like how freeing is that, that we have to reframe the Christian faith. It's not just this endurance test of like, who can do the most good things? No, it's it's about self-control and submitting ourselves again and again and again to the authority of Christ in us so that we may become less controlled by our sinful nature, our sinful fleshly desires that all of us, paid pastoral staff, normal people at home, all of us experience this war in our flesh. But the battle of self-control is to say, God, I want to be more aligned to you than myself. This is the battle of the Christian life. This is the, the call as Christians to, to face the world and face ourselves and to know that we will struggle at times. And we're not disqualified by the struggle. No, we, we must become more hungry for God's power to work through our brokenness, through our weakness. So, so often when we, when we do sin or when we are tempted or when we experience something that's not of God welling up in us, we move away from God because we're sure that God can't love us in our broken nature because we did that sinful thing or we had that sinful thought. But what self-control means is to tune into God 
and to say, God, in this very moment where I feel so weak, would your power work in me? That's what self-control does. Proverbs 25 warns us, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. So if you turn that verse around, self-control is a city wall. It is a gate. Self-control is a place of protection where God longs as his followers, his children, like the good father he is. He longs to protect us from the marauders that want to come in and wreak havoc on our internal spaces. Now, self-control then is protection. But a lie of Christian discipleship is that once we become in full mastery of ourselves, then God will somehow love us. And so we make Christianity something that Christ never made it. Some, it's an endurance test, like whoever can be the strongest, the most controlled. No, no, that puts ourselves on the throne, not God. Uh, a wonderful uh, theologian of color, a black man named Willie James Jennings, he says this, he says that possession, mastery, and control are virtues that were to be embodied in American Christianity, in American Christian men primarily. And the embodiment of those three virtues of possession, mastery, and control would constitute one crucial overarching reality, self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency, he continues, the grandeur of humans is that humanity is self-sufficient in relationship to the world, but dependent in relationship to God but that dependency is best expressed through self-sufficiency. See, that's an idol, friends, we have to tear down. Christ doesn't call us to be self-sufficient. He calls us to love him and love others. And so self-control is laying our lives before Christ to say, God, I I wanna surrender myself to your will working in me. I don't wanna be a slave to, to forces of sin or temptation. So set me free in order to follow. Self-control is being fully surrendered to the Spirit's work in our life where we abandon ourselves to the ways of King Jesus. And many of us feel out of control. We feel out of control with our time. There's never enough time. We may feel out of control with our eating. Oh, I'm gonna self-medicate with my snack drawer. We may feel out of control with our thought life. We may feel out of control with pornography, or issues of the flesh. We may feel out of control with our tongue, our language, the things we say about people around us. We may feel out of control with our attitude towards others. We may feel out of control with our technology and how often we're checking our phone, our watches, our social media feed. So here again, the voice of Jesus in Matthew 16. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels and he'll reward each person according to what they've done. And so just a really practical question I wanna give you church is this. Um, When you get stressed out, you typically do blank thing. In your moment of crisis or stress of anxiety, you typically turn to blank. We all have a blank, a fill in the blank. But if you answer that question honestly, there's a starting point that God wants you to exert self-control over because it's that place where I turn to in my hurt, anxiety, fear that God says, 
would you lift that out of that fill in the blank answer and start to insert my name there? When I'm anxious, I turn to Jesus. When I'm afraid, I turn to Jesus. So it's a question for us. A key verse for self-control is this John 3.30. It's one of my anchor verses. It's where John says, he must become greater and I must become less. And so the work of the church is to remind ourselves over and over and over again, we're not in control. So he must become greater. I must become less. God, we don't want to be controlled by our technology. We don't want to be controlled by our addictions. We don't want to be controlled by even other people. God, we want to be fully submitted to you. And in order to do that, we'll have to do the work of self-control. A practice I want to give you, an application practice that uh, somebody share with me. I meet with a spiritual director and uh, this season, I've had a lot of things that are causing me anxiety. And he said, Scott, you need to do the prayer of serenity. He's like, before you go into those really stressful meetings, you need to just literally call out to God, deep breathe and say, not my will, God, but yours. Not my will, God, but yours. He said, if you just do that for a couple of minutes, as you go into that meeting you're about to have, you will be surrendered. That's practicing self-control. That's a practical application I want to give you, church. When you face something difficult this week ahead, turn to God and do the prayers of serenity and say, God, not, not my will, but yours. Will your will be done in this situation, in this relationship, in this thing that I'm battling? So this is a key work of the Christian disciple, but not behavioral management. No, laying our lives down at the feet of Jesus. And so the second thing I want to just say, and it's a promise that restraint and self-control can really make your faith grow. Like self, self-control isn't just so that our faith isn't destroyed. It's actually a place where our faith can flourish. And a word that God has given me over and over again in the last six months is this word of restraint. Like the real work for me right now as a Christian leader is is restraint and restraining at times so that God can work through me and I'm not just working from some sort of frenetic pace. This is what Jesus modeled again and again. Jesus, from the garden to the cross, Lord, I'm gonna, not my will, but yours. He says that it is a ministry of restraint. And Jesus just wants us to be reminded again and again and again that when we're tempted, we don't necessarily need to sin. There is a moment between the temptation and the gratification. In your temptation, do not sin. In your temptation, you can wait. In your temptation, you can suffer. In your temptation, you can be formed. And so when we give up our life, we will find it as Jesus followers. We can believe that self-control isn't just a, oh, how do I endure this moment and just suffer? No, this is a place where my faith can actually grow. Not just sin management anymore. No, no, we're talking about this is a tactic where faith can be formed. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humankind and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you're tempted, he'll provide a way out so that you can endure it. Oftentimes when we're tempted, we're like, I got no other options here, so I'm just gonna scratch the itch. She's like, no, that temptation point, which God doesn't put in front of us, that's the enemy. But Jesus like, there's a different way to grow here. It's through self-control. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. 
for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And so the reality is Jesus followers, there's some things that will need to die in our lives and nothing dies without effort. We must be under control of the spirit's power, not our own. And so to be, to be faithful Christians, we've got to grow our gift of self-control. Uh, I'm a baseball fan, a long-suffering Mariners fan. I mean, I'm still, here it is mid-August, and I'm still checking the box scores and still dreaming a little bit. And I was studying about historical figures that really exemplified self-control and was pleased to read again about the story of Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson, the first black Major League Baseball player, the first black Rookie of the Year, the first black American to become inducted into the Hall of Fame. He was one of the greatest baseball players ever, and he received daily and weekly death threats and racial abuses and insults. How did he do that? How did he do that? One biographer said that the portrait of Jackie Robinson is one of emotional maturity and self-control because Jackie Robinson wasn't just even a good baseball player. He was a Jesus follower who followed in the ways of Jesus. And though he grew tired of attacks and eventually gradually became more and more outspoken against racism in our country, he followed the ways of Jesus. He turned the other cheek. And instead of focusing on the haters all around him, he focused on the game. Now, I love that because here's a man that suffered far more abuse than I will ever understand. But instead of focusing on all the places of him being attacked, He focused on the game. So when we struggle, when we're tempted, when we have obstacles before us that start to gain our attention as followers of Jesus, we got to focus on the game, that there is a powerful God that's more powerful than any obstacle of every crisis. Do Do you ever recognize this in your own life too? Like every day and often every week, there's a new crisis, right? Like for parents, there's a new child that you're worried about. For, for people that aren't parents, there's you know, a new issue with the roommate or a new, like every one of us, it doesn't matter if you're in your 20s or you're retired, like life has a way of keeping us on high alert and honestly believing and operating that like this week's crisis is bigger than any before. And it's honestly a temptation of the enemy. But if we're focused on the real game that we play for a higher power, yes. This thing that I'm dealing with today has my attention. But self-control says, God, I want your power to be working through me in this specific situation. I don't want to lose my perspective. I don't want to take my eyes off the ball. Help me play the game in such a way that my faith can flourish. Robinson did that amazing. Run in such a way, like Jordan taught earlier, that to get the prize, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do not get the crown that will last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Our game is a different one. It's not defined by the the quick hit of the instant marshmallow. No, we're, we're two marshmallow people waiting for the fullness that God wants to bring as we're faithful to him, exerting more and more self control, his life coming alive in our lives. So let me end with this. The promise for those of us followers of Jesus, the promise in the end is not more suffering through self-control. It's more power. 
It's more fullness. It's more joy. It's more of these other fruits of the spirit. Self-control bookends these other fruits to say, if you can lean in to not your need in the moment, but what God wants to do in you, there's gonna be more of this fruitful living. The, the, the power that comes through some self-control. Power without control is dangerous. And Raul will be teaching about, about that uh, more about that next week, because Raul is going to be teaching about gentleness. But I remind you here what Paul says to Timothy, the young man, he's teaching about a life of ministry. Second Timothy 1 said, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. He gave us that thing. He, he gave us that thing in order, self-control, for our faith to grow, for our power to increase for us to not be blown by the winds, whatever culture is bringing to say, this is the thing we must have right now, but in order to be experiencing more of Jesus' life in us. That's uh, over and over again in the scriptures, you see godly people that, that chose the godly way of self-control. I think of Daniel, I think of Joseph, I think certainly of Jesus. We can go on and on and on. But the fully surrendered life is in time the more powerful life that through restraint, we'll experience a new fruitfulness, a new joy, a new power. And towards that end, a second application, earlier in this message, I said, practice the serenity prayer. Can I challenge some Jesus followers that are watching this right now? Practice fasting. Fasting is an ancient practice. Remember what Jesus says, when you fast, don't do it like those guys, do it like these guys. Like the, the, if we're Jesus followers, we should be practicing fasting. You can fast this for, fast from technology, from social media, or food, you can skip a meal, you can skip a day's worth of food. Like practice stepping away from something and then when you long for it, it's a chance for your power to grow. So if I fast in a meal, I will get hungry, but in my hunger, I turn it to prayer. God, I'm hungry now, would you give me more of your joy, your peace, or your vision for my future, or your answer to this thing that I'm bearing? Fasting. Practicing self-control is a way for God's power to be released in us. So that's a practice. I mean, serenity prayer, fasting, choose one in the week ahead and try it out and see what self-control looks like from you. Serenity prayer is fasting from control. And then actual fasting is like fasting from a literal thing in your life in order to lean more on what God wants to do in your life. Titus 2, 11, 12, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And so church, just receive that gift. Receive that teaching. Live in this direction this week, not being mastered by ourselves, but surrendering to the power of God. Not, not, not living a life choosing our own adventure always entirely, but trying to submit over and over and over again to the power of God in our lives. Power without control can be a dangerous thing. Tell you a story briefly and then wrap it up. I've told this story years ago, but uh, when I was in uh, daycare at five years old, we had a problem on the playground. There was an anthill. We were not pleased with said anthill. So my buddy and I cooked up a plan. I was gonna bring the matches he was going to bring the five-gallon can of gas, and we were going to blow this thing up. I had seen my dad burn brush piles when we were cutting firewood in the hills above Shelton, Washington. So I'm like, 
We will do this. I've seen power. I want to eradicate the anthill. Boom, let's be powerful. I made it to daycare with the matches. My buddy, he had the harder job. It's a little hard to sneak a five-gallon can of gas as a five-year-old. He tried, bless his heart, busted. Both were. I learned more about disobedience and punishment that morning. That's a different message for a different day. But what we thought is like, we'll do something powerful and take care of this problem. Power without control has disastrous consequences in the church, disastrous consequences. Christian leaders have abused this over and over and over again. People have been harmed from Christian leaders, Christian disciples that had power, but no self-control. So may we be a church fully surrendered at the knees of Jesus, not my will, but yours. Whoever wants to lose our lives will find it. We want to be efficient and powerful and effective. Get on our knees and say, Jesus, it's not my authority, but yours. So I open up my life, God, in practicing self-control that your power will flow through me. And until it does, I will wait and I will worship and I will kneel and I will confess because I am a sinful man. But God, you are a good God who loves to work through the women and men of this church submitted through self-control. That marshmallow story from 1970, the Dr. Michelle, Dr. Michelle, he died in 2018. He was horrified by the end of his life of what he felt like results taken out of context. He, he felt like it was taken out of context because what we did with that teaching about delayed self-gratification, we just took it and ran with it. We didn't actually look at socioeconomic status. These kids were tested in Palo Alto. Every one of them was full. You put a hungry child in front of a marshmallow or pretzel stick, it's a whole different study, friends. And Dr. Michelle did this landmark marshmallow test. You know what they found in 2020? Nah, Delayed self-gratification, it's important. It's not the primary marker of success in people's life or of their future health or their finances. We really took it too far. The reminder is that we're not defined by places where we reach for the one marshmallow. We're not defined by places that we sin at us. We are not one marshmallow Christians. We have a good God who has given us the full blessing and power of his spirit alive in us. So some of us are walking around like, oh, I did the thing. I grabbed the marshmallow, whatever. It's God's like, that's the old story. Be done with it. No, live submitted to my will and my authority in your life and know that anytime you turn back to me, my power can come alive in you. My grace can come alive in you want to do a new thing. So those that want to gain their life, practice self-control. Lay your life at the feet of Jesus and through practices of serenity prayer, of fasting, that God, I'm going to be a little bit less so that you become greater in my life. Because remember what First John says? Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. There is one in the world that wants to define us by our one marshmallow moments, not your God, not Jesus Christ. Greater is he who is in us. So we practice self-control to be reminded of his greater love and power. Let's pray now. Jesus, thank you so much for your church, for this moment, for this message. Remind us, God, this is a hard word, but it's a good word. 
that you must become greater in our lives, that we must become less. Teach us all to be laying our lives down over and over again at your feet in specific and practical ways. Allow us, God, to move into places of self-control in order for our faith to flourish. Lord, we pray that you'd use this message to build up more and more faith, people experiencing your greater power in their lives for your kingdom. In your name we pray, amen.